You're listening to WBAI 99.5 FM, and, and, and you're listening to the Independent News Hour. We're on the air every uh, Tuesday from 5 to 6 p.m. I'm John Tarleton, the Indies Editor-in-Chief. And in our third and final segment today, we're going to uh, talk about a couple of matters with uh, one of the Indies uh, ace reporters, uh, Ted Ham. Uh, he has a new uh, piece up on independent.org uh, uh, called Riverside Park Conservancy Hit with Sexual Harassment Allegations. And Ted's also been covering the Manhattan DA race for us where um, there's a very rare open seat at the very powerful district attorney's office the first time in, in 12 years. And uh, we're going to talk about that more in a, a little bit. But first of all, uh, Ted, welcome to the Independent News Hour. Thanks, John. Good to be here. Great. It's great to have you back with us. So uh, you you published this piece on independent.org yesterday about um, a Me Too uh, scandal at Riverside Park Conservancy. Uh, can you sort of give us the uh, thumbnail sketch of what's uh, happened there and the two uh, women who work there who really had their lives uh, turned upside down and uh, management is really sort of just uh, seems like it's stonewalling? Sure. So there's two different uh, but overlapping cases alleging sexual harassment against uh, the, the conservancy from women who worked as gardeners at the conservancy. Neither of them is there any longer. Um, and they both told um, similar stories, or at least in their their lawsuits, that uh, what they faced from the crew that they worked with on the ground, the grounds crew, uh, was the sort of sort of sexually explicit badgering harass that type of harassment that might you might find in a work setting like that um, sometimes and um, then also at least one instance of a direct physical uh, assault um, and uh, so this this went on for a while and the, the women two women uh, one who had moved to New York from Seattle Brianna. George and another woman, Lakeisha Johnson. Um, Brianna was uh, in her early twenties. Lakeisha was uh, ten years older or early thirties, uh, and she had come through training programs at the New York Botanical Garden, Brooklyn Botanical Garden, and also um, Brianna had done a lot of work previously in Seattle, so they had good training experience and so on. And they joined these uh, grounds crew to further their careers. Um, and they faced just a sort of, um, a hostile work environment and went, then went forward to, um, complain and didn't really get anywhere, um, in their, with their complaints. Um, you know, the, the, these are lawsuits, so you, there's going to be, um, pushback. And that's something that, um, I write about is the, the degree to which the, uh, conservancy is really, uh, fighting going to fight hard against these lawsuits. They settled the first one um, and one of the, with Lakeisha Johnson. Uh, but one of the problems with the settlement is that it's not public. So we don't really know. So it has a non-disclosure agreement. Right. And, and that's, that's, that's sort of a point of entry into the, uh, the bigger issues raised in the story is, you know, this is how um, power functions in the city right so if you if you go to the park you go to riverside park or you go to central park or many other parks in the city uh you know you just may you may see a sign or two saying it's of uh, the conservancy 
um, that is running, holding events or hosting various functions in the, in the, uh, park, but you don't really think too much about, um, the working, the work crews and whether it was, but two, two, two different work crews and one might be employed by the conservancy. That's the private entity. And then the, the city parks, that they're going to they, there could be city parks department rounds crew, uh, workers there as well. And so depending on which you, which crew, um, who your employer is as, from the gardener's perspective, uh, you have different recourse uh, when a union, one crew would be represented by DC 37, one of the largest unions in the city. And then the other uh, crew would be non-unionized. I mean, right. Exactly. That's a big, that's, so that's a major um, difference. And then, uh, the, you know, the fact that you would then go need to pursue a lawsuit, uh, you wouldn't be suing the city. Um, as I said, that's, so that's not public record, but the city also has to sort of adhere to certain, um, settlement pat- patterns, right. In, in how they deal with lawsuits, um, and instead now you, what's happening is, uh, the, Brianna George now, the uh, the woman, younger woman from Seattle, uh, she's um, retained a firm. Uh, uh, lawyer Rita Setti from who uh, is an attorney with Glickman Stoll, or uh, um, in Brooklyn firm, and now she, so she's going up against uh, a very powerful uh, Manhattan what's called a white shoe firm, a sort of top tier corporate law firm, um, Paul Weiss, um, is it's just best known as has several other partners, but, um, and so they, the lawyer there, uh, is a partner, Paul Weiss, who's a friend of, um, the president and CEO of the Riverside park conservancy, because as we all know, a park needs a CEO. Um, <laughs> and, but that, that person is Dan Garodnik, right? And that Dan Garodnik is a fr- uh, familiar name in city politics, three time city councilman from the, uh, the east side of Manhattan. Um, and then the board chair is uh, Micah Lasher, who is Scott Stringer's uh, campaign manager. Um, and, and I don't want to switch. has sort of been a political presence up on the Upper West Side for. Uh, a number of years as well, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, so you have these powerful political uh, figures, and then a powerhouse law firm uh, that is um, fully intent on fighting this case, um, the second case. Uh, and you know, so this you would think that um, well, there's more. It just really shows you how that the, the as I said, how power works and, you know, using the term neoliberalism, just in terms of uh, the private entities that now control public, um, what we formerly would think of as the public sector. Um, uh, yeah, let, let's unpack that park. a little bit more. Uh, these park conservancies, the uh, sort of the pioneering one was the Central Park Conservancy, which I think was started by some very wealthy liberals in the 1980s and Yes. Can you talk about sort of what the model is here and, and, and how, how it's set up and then kind of how it's been replicated in other places? Sure. So, yes, yeah, so the Central Park uh, Conservancy was formed in um, 1980 and with some real prominent figures, Jackie 
uh, Kennedy Onassis, uh, Paul Newman, and others. You know, the, the elite living in, uh, around Central Park, or at least the, the southern end of the park, um, they were uh, wanting to sort of raise money for the park, but also have control over what happens in the park. And that's basically what these conservancies do, is they raise money for improvements in the park, but then they also uh, stake out what areas, what what can what can happen in various areas of the park, and what kind of events take place, uh, functions, parties, and so on, um, concerts and, and things like that. Uh, so you know they, they become another elite um, uh, philanthropic uh, um, organization or nonprofit organization, which you know being on the board is uh, gives you some being on the board gives you some sort of clout um, and connections and so on, just like many other leading nonprofits in Manhattan. So uh, then these they, they, these these organizations then uh, license, sign a licensing agreement with the city uh, that they will abide by city laws uh, regarding non-discrimination um, and so on, sexual harassment uh, in these cases. Um, but, you know, if are, are they really doing that? Um, or uh, do they use their power to snuff out um, any challenges uh, like the ones that are we've seen in these court um, filings here? So uh, and there's a lot, a lot more to the story, I think. The, the, the story raises uh, some, some interesting questions about how um, the powers that workers have or don't have um, in mm-hmm. in these um, structures and so on. Um, so I, I think it's an interesting little window, um, right? And, and, and as one more aside, uh, they they resemble the the structure or the model here resembles uh, the charter schools in some ways. Those uh, privately, the charter schools get public funding, but they're privately managed and they're they're uh, teaching force is non-unionized and um, subject much more to sort of the uh, caprice of their uh, employers. Uh, is that a fair comparison? Are, are there any other I, examples that come to mind? I think so. Um, you might include business improvement districts uh, to some extent in there. Um, that's, uh, you know, because they, they sweep up their, their, plazas and so on um and but also then sort of regulate who can uh, um, have access to that public space uh in in the process and so on um so yeah i think that that is a a serious question i mean these are questions you know uh our friend reverend billy has been um on top of (laughs) on top of these issues for the last two decades but the the ways in which the privatization of public space is uh particularly plays out in manhattan but these part these conservancies are everywhere i mean prospect park um the prospect park alliance uh well the the other one i mentioned was what is the the fort green Conservancy. There's, uh, I mean, if you look it up, there's, there's, there's dozens of them. Uh, the Fresh Kills Alliance in Staten Island, and so on. So, uh, you know, this process is replicating. Um, and you know, I mean, it's a question. I guess we'll see who the next mayor is. Uh, to the how much they want to challenge the power structures such uh, such as these. Um, 
I, you know, you can sort of run down the list and sort of see who 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 might be the threat to any of these interests. When when De Blasio first came in, uh, I didn't write about this in the story, but when he came uh, into the uh, office in 2014, he was uh, trying to enact a plan to um, get the conservancies to donate portions of their revenue. Um, they they raise a lot of funds. So the Riverside Park is about seven million. Uh, Central Park is around seventy million. Um, it's like he was trying to get them to donate ten percent of their proceeds to improve other parks throughout the city. I don't think that ever really. I'm not sure whatever happened to that. Um, yeah, but, I remember that at the beginning. Yeah, he, the yeah. idea was to shift some of this, uh, uh, some of these funds out to uh, really uh, you know under resourced uh, parks in the outer boroughs and in communities that had really been sort of neglected. And there was definitely pushback from these uh, conser- conservancies and. Yeah, it's a good right. question if de Blasio ever got anywhere with that. We have just a few more minutes, and I want to talk about the Manhattan uh, District Attorney's race, which you've been um, covering uh, um, extensively for the Independent. Um, uh, voting will begin in, in less than a month, and the primary day is June 22nd, so we're really in the home stretch here. Uh, can, can you first of all kind of talk about why the Manhattan DA's race is uh, – uh, so important. What, what kind of what's at stake here with uh, Cyrus Vance Jr. Uh, retiring after 12 years in office and a whole slew of candidates trying to replace him? And then we'll talk about some of these candidates. Sure. Stand well, and Cy Vance is a net um, is nationally known and, and, and because of the high profile prosecutions, and that just is inevitable. So there's prosecutions involving Trump or not prosecuting Trump, uh, Harvey Weinstein. Um, Dominique Strauss-Kahn back uh, <laughs> 10 years ago or so now. Um, and uh, those, you know, inevitably catapult the Manhattan DA into prominence. Um, and anything the Manhattan DA might do to, uh, regarding reform certainly could set an example that would be followed elsewhere uh, across the country. So um, just in general, that the, the prominence of that office um, is, is something is, is, is makes it quite influential. It's quite a prize for whoever um, of these eight candidates can actually um, win the election. So, um, yeah, they're, they're to varying degrees. Um, they are reformers and three are decarceral candidates. Eliza Orleans, Dan Quirt, Tahani Ibushi. Um and then you have uh, uh, Alvin Bragg, who seems to have the most momentum now, which we can talk about in a minute. Uh, he's left of center, but certainly not um, decarceral. Uh, and then Lucy Lang is sort of in the same orbit as um, Bragg. Uh, then you have uh, Diana Florence. Um, and then two, she's a little bit in the center. And then two to, two to the right, Tali Farhadi and Weinstein, she has the most money. That's created some controversy, all the money she's raised from uh, Wall Street interests. And then now uh, Liz Crotty um, has seized the right lane uh, in, the, in the race, endorsed by Ray Kelly uh, and the PBA uh, and company. So... Uh, she's running on the anti-reform line. Um, <laughs> right. Can you? Yeah, uh, definitely uh, a, a Trumpist uh, flavor with her. Uh, but uh, can you tell us a little bit more about Alvin Bragg? Uh, he's started to really sort of rack up the uh, a, a broad spectrum of endorsements. And you just tell us a little bit about his background and 
Um, sure. How he, he sort of uh, gained this momentum. He, sure. He was uh, uh, former assistant attorney general under um, Schneiderman. Uh, and um, he has a, uh, a wide um, range of experience. Some of the others have more narrow um uh, cat- or, or categories of experience, I mean, but I don't, I don't, that doesn't mean that that does, that's hardly disqualifying. Um, but for example, Eliza Orleans is the only public defender in the race. Um, he is Bragg is a prosecutor with, but he's done white collar prosecutions, um, criminal prosecutions, and so on. Uh, so um, he and, and he's the um, He's black and he's from Harlem and he has the support of the black political leadership of Harlem. Uh, also recently got the endorsement of the Central Park Five, um, all five. Uh, and, and so Zephyr Teachout as well. Zephyr Teachout. Yeah. So he's got he's got the um, a, in terms of uh, figures in, in the legal world, Zephyr Teachout won um, in 2018. She, she lost, of course, statewide to uh, Tish James, but. She won Manhattan, so she has uh, a fair amount of clout there. So that's good for Bragg that she backed him. Uh, but he also has uh, Preet Bharara, who's not—I wouldn't put him on the left—but uh, he's popular. <laughs> but he's popular um, because of his anti-Trump um, reputation, uh, and uh, so so he's got Bragg has this mix of different uh, uh, powerful figures backing him. Um, and then he's got the, uh, the most powerful, the leading unions in the in um, the city. Most recently, the UFT, the teachers union, has announced its support for him. And they have a lot of retired. There's a lot more retired teachers in Manhattan than people may th- instantly think. I mean, you may think Manhattan's so expensive the teachers can't afford to live there, but that's that applies to current teachers. But there were teachers who set up shop there in the 80s and 90s. Right. And so- living in Stytown and up the West side and other places. Um, yeah, we're down, we're down to our last uh, 30 seconds. Uh, just one last thought. Uh, unlike all the other races on the ballot on June 22nd, this one is not a ranked choice voting uh, scenario. You, right. Am I correct? The voters are going to have to make one choice and. Right. That's a, inevitably going to be confusing for voters because, <laughs> but it is a state race. So the, the district attorney's office is a state race. So yeah, um, it's uh, at this point, it seems like Bragg has the momentum. The, the New York times endorsement is going to be a big um, uh, shift. Could, could be a game changer, but it very likely could go to Bragg. So uh, right. we'll see how that plays out. All righty. Uh, Ted Ham of the Independent, thank you so much for joining us on WBAI Radio this evening. Thanks, John. Have a good evening. All right. And again, you can uh, find uh, Ted's latest article on the Riverside uh, uh, Park Conservancy uh, Me Too scandal on independent.org. And that's going to wrap it up for tonight's show. I uh, want to thank uh, our producer, Amber Gagarian, for all her hard work, as well as Ken Lopez for uh, bringing us sounds from the street. We'll be back the same time next week. 